The Spin-Off Podcast Network. Are you making the most of your KiwiSaver investment? Generate is an award-winning KiwiSaver provider with a track record of strong long-term performance. Making a smart decision now could add tens of thousands of dollars by the time you reach retirement. Book a no-obligation chat with a Generate KiwiSaver advisor today at generatekiwisaver.co.nz slash advice. A copy of the product disclosure statement is available at generatekiwisaver.co.nz. The issuer of the scheme is Generate Investment Management Limited and, of course, past performance does not guarantee future returns. Ready to rediscover the joys of cycling? With over 300 kilometres of cycle paths across Tamaki Makoto, jumping on your bike and going for a ride is such a fun way to discover the city from a different perspective. Cycling is getting more and more popular across Auckland, so now's a great time to join the hype and give cycling a go. Head to at.govt forward slash cycling to find your nearest cycleway today. Probably. Gonna cry again. Probably. <laughs> Kia ora everyone. We are just here to say hello before we get into this very special edition of On the Rag featuring none other than Gloria Steinem. Like, what? Like the Gloria Steinem. The Gloria Steinem. I beg your pardon? We just had a <laughs> 30 minute phone conversation with her. She joined our, our beautiful little sacred circle for a, for a sliver of time and it was <gasps> extraordinary. Uh, the whole thing was arranged because she has a new book coming out, not just because we're best friends. But I do think <laughs> that maybe now we might be. Our I friends. think we are friends now. Yeah, I mean, I'm looking at flights. <laughs> yeah, I, I've got some evenings free to pop round to Gloria, as I like to call yeah, her now, so. her place, and have dinner and just chew the fat. Exactly. The book is called The Truth Will Set You Free, but first it will piss you off. And it is an extraordinary collection of... Her greatest quotes uh, with kind of essays scattered through it. And she also pulls on the wisdom of all the people around her that she loves and respects. Mm. And it's like, it's just, it's a really amazing book. So that's the reason that, that that's what brought her here. But um, we talked about a lot more than we that. We talked about everything under the sun. Pretty much. And spoiler alert, she knows everything under the sun. Yeah, she does. With just this gentle wisdom that um, I, the, her, mm, I, I'm going to cry again. Yeah. Yeah. We'll just roll the tape, shall we? Yeah. Enjoy it. And sorry about us. <laughs> I just wanted to start on this question about humour and feminism because we've been doing this podcast for about three, over three years now. And I still remember we did an emergency podcast when Donald Trump uh, was elected. We called an emergency <laughs> meeting. <laughs> and it was the most dour. We, we all on this, on my, this subcontinent should have been listening. Yeah. <laughs> And it was such a grim affair, and we all sort of t- took stock and went. Oh, we cried. There, we there cried. were tears, genuine, genuine tears that day. It was. It felt so dark, so dark. And we wondered how we would ever get our sense of humour back again. And we <laughs> have, but you have managed to maintain a tremendous sense of humour. Is that important to you? Yes, it is. And I think I only recently began to realise that that laughter was itself a proof of freedom because it's it's the one emotion that you can't compel. 
you know, I mean, as I've written about, you know, you can obviously you can compel fear. And mm. and actually, if you're dependent for a, a long period of time, you can even make someone feel they're in love because you come to identify, you know, with the with the other person, merge with the other person. But but laughter is the one thing that can't be forced. Mm. And here, and maybe maybe for for you too, the, the the our our oldest cultures, our Native American cultures, have a spirit of laughter. Uh, that um, is is neither male nor female, <clears throat> and that t- tells us that if you can't laugh, you can't pray because laughter breaks into the unknown. Wow. And it, you know, so it you know it is when you think about it, it is the only emotion that can't be compelled. Mm-hmm. So it's a pretty good guide if you just say to yourself, "Okay, I'm not going any place that doesn't let me laugh," hmm. including church. I love it. (laughs) (laughs) It's what's keeping us all sane. Yeah, it's a pretty good guide. Um, I love that you brought up uh, Indigenous uh, American culture. I wanted to ask you about that. Um, I'm Māori. I'm Indigenous New Zealander. Um, And obviously those conversations about intersectionality are are super important in every culture. Um, You know, you've always brought women of colour and Indigenous women up alongside you, how do you have those those difficult conversations um, with with feminists, with white feminists that maybe aren't sure mm-hmm. how, to, uh, how to bring those women with them on their feminism journey? Mm-hmm. Well, I think, I mean, just speaking personally, I think that it's not that I ever felt I was bringing something, someone along with me. I felt I was learning. Mm. uh, and I had this immense gift of realizing that patriarchy didn't always exist. Yeah. So I I think it's not an obligation at all. It is a pleasure, you know, because (laughs) if you realize realize it's not human nature, you know, that we divide ourselves by gender and by race, or that we have to have hierarchical governments instead of more circular ones, <clears throat> it's an enormous uh, relief and mm. pleasure and learning. And how did you seek out those communities in order to learn from them? Uh, well, I it was probably uh, luck in large part <clears throat> because um, the our, our National Women's Conference in Houston, which you know was the end of the seventies, set out to be. Uh, representative of everybody in the country. So it had actually the largest group, I mean, I think almost 200 Native American women who had not necessarily been able to meet each other across large distances either. And, you know, I could I could see there that they knew what we didn't know, mm. you know, that we were operating on hope, they were operating on memory. And it was just so... Mm. Mind blowing and heartening, you know that I I I just didn't get over it. And then I had friends like Wilma Mankiller, who was the chief of the Cherokee Nation, and uh, Rebecca Adamson, and you know others, um, who you know it was just a huge gift. So now I try to think about history as vertical, not just horizontal. So you know where, wherever I am, I try to think about who was there first and probably is still there. Great. 
That's fantastic. Gloria, all the different voices are important to feminism. How do you feel about there's a growing global movement of transphobia amongst the feminist community? What's your response to that? Well, I I certainly can understand that um, not to have lived in the female as a female human being uh, from birth forward means that you've had a different experience. But on the other hand, that person probably has felt estranged from uh, a world that divides everything into two Mm -hmm. and shouldn't. So I just, I just feel that we have to let each of us self-identify. I don't, I don't see any, any uh, possible humane kind or even practical alternative mm. to that. Yeah, mm. yeah. What about the recent? Uh, obviously, we're seeing the growing climate crisis movement, which definitely is appearing to be led by young women. And in a response, even in recent weeks, we've seen many prominent men uh, here in New Zealand and around the world, kind of. Uh, What's the word? What are we going to say there? Well, they're having a tantrum about a young woman um, talking like an adult, so they start talking like children. Yeah. probably the best way to describe it here. Why do you think that's happening? Why are we seeing these men just lose their minds over young women trying to save the planet? Well, I guess we would have to ask each one to, to find out, but I think in general it just goes against the hierarchy that they think is natural, which is men over women, older people over younger people, mm-hmm. uh, and also that they see that, you know, it has inspired a whole movement. It's just a, not just one or two young women uh, or young men. It's it's a huge, huge movement. And it makes sense because they're the ones who are going to be left with this environment that we are now destroying. Mm-hmm. So so both both from a rational and point of view and a numerical point of view <laughs> is probably quite threatening to them, and I'm glad it is. Mm. I mean, there has always been a certain um, bias against youth, um, I think, as far as taking people seriously. True. Um, and I, I know sort of as a younger journalist, even within feminist communities, sometimes people didn't take you seriously, beauty, privilege, and youth. Do you think people take you more seriously, the older you've gotten or is it just something we tell ourselves and actually people just mm. don't take women seriously at any time <laughs> of life? Well, the, yeah, there is a seriousness deficit, isn't there, mm. with, <laughs> for, for women. <laughs> but I also think we uh, are a little bit different from men in this regard because we are valued, if not taken seriously, for our ability to reproduce. So... Uh-huh. The, the central years of life are more likely to be years of valuing women. And, uh, you know, older women, I think, are probably, I hate to generalize, but I think are probably way less valued than older men. Mm-hmm. Pre- precisely because it's the state of our womb that they are looking at, not the state of our brain. <laughs> <laughs> Is there something fantastically liberating for you about being older? 
Yes, there is. There is. I mean, I had no idea. <laughs> this is the first time I've been old, you know, so I'll do. <laughs> uh, because, uh, you know, all of that part of your brain that has been reliably controlled by hormones, or not controlled, but at least influenced by, by hormones, which is delightful, but also once it's gone, uh, which I would say doesn't happen promptly at 50, but maybe by 60, it, you have this vast area of your brain for other things. It's fascinating. This is so cool. If I'm speaking to romance junkies, but I certainly was a romance junkie, and <laughs> just having all that energy for other things is quite interesting. <laughs> it's not better or worse, it's different. This is the best news for me. I'm 58 now, Gloria, so I'm um, I'm getting to my my most productive, liberated, romance-free stage of life. Is that right? Yes, yes, <laughs> loving it. Well, well you'll, you know, you'll see. It's just um, it it is a, it is a kind. It isn't that it wasn't wonderful, well, you know, before. It's just that it's wonderful in a different way. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. We have a question um, from one of our listeners, actually kind of on that note as you sort of look back. Which of your achievements are you the most proud of? And if anything, um, what is your greatest regret? Mm, well, that's hard. <laughs> um, well, I, I think I, I, I'm kind of most proud of having miraculously survived my childhood, my high school years, <laughs> and the 1950s. Yeah. None of you know how bad the fifties really were. Mm. <laughs> I mean, not e- they weren't even the sixties. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so <laughs> you know that was <laughs> that 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 you know that's a, a, a source of amazement. Mm. In terms of regret, it has to do with time, because in a deep sense, time is all there is, and I know that I have wasted time repeating things I already knew how to do or mm. um, doing what I was told instead of what I mm. hoped for or wanted. Mm-hmm. You know, so I, since time is all there is, I would say wasting it is the, the biggest loss. That's, I mean, as inspirational as that is, it's also a little bit depressing because if <laughs> Gloria Steinem thinks she's wasted time, then the rest of us have really been wasting no our time. No hope. No, yeah. no, stop it. No, 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 no. You probably wasted less, much less because you were smarter younger. <laughs> That's very kind, not knowing us, i got to say. <laughs> it's very generous. Um, have you done an outrageous act today? And if so, what was it? <laughs> Oh, that's so interesting. Oh, gosh. No, you know, that's a real challenge <laughs> I've done today. Huh. Probably not enough. I should hang up and do something. <laughs> no, <laughs> no, no. Stay, stay, stay. I take it back. I, I'll, I'll tell you, I mean, what, what comes to mind is perhaps not all that relevant, but do, do you know who Jesse Norman is? A, a wonderful opera star, global uh musical presence okay no but we're madly googling died recently yeah and and, you know and so i just became a little obsessed with trying to put words online that would lead people to her Mm. um her recordings or her books because she uh you know if we if we'd ever 
had a goddess, it would have been Jessie Norman in her Aida suit, you know, that she wore when wow. she sang Aida. I mean, she was incredible. So, you know, you might listen or, you know, I'm sure you can find something online um, or take a look and see what you think. Yeah, we But know. I'm not sure that's outrageous enough, so I'll work on it. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like a lot of the things that you've said to us in this interview already have been outrageous acts that will spur us onto yes. our own outrageous acts for the day. Yeah, <laughs> <so>. <laughs> I want to ask Gloria, one of my favorite quotes in the book is about how women don't, it, it's not about getting a bigger slice of the pie, it's about baking a new pie. Can we talk some more about that? How are we doing on baking the new pie for women? Well, I, I think that we have uh, begun to bake a new pie by making it okay to marry or not to marry, to have children or not to have children, uh, to uh, begin to do away with gender and race as, as the prisons they once were. I mean, they still are, but we're, it's different. You know, there's much more room to, to move around. But I suspect we won't really be there until not only are women equal outside the home, which we aren't yet, and, you know, we don't have the same positions of authority or the same pay and so on, but men are equal inside the home until men are raising children as much as women do, mm. then then uh, boys and men won't have the opportunity to develop all those qualities that are wrongly called feminine, which really come from either raising children or being raised to raise children. Mm. Patience, empathy, attention to detail, I don't know, you know, flexibility, all those all those qualities <laughs> that are wrongly called feminine but are really human. So we've you know, we've we've made some more strides in getting women into public life than we have probably in both our countries into men being equal in private life and child rearing. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's very true. What about the role of capitalism in all of this? We're quite keen to kind of overthrow it, but we've still got to go to work. <laughs> I know. I never quite understood why anybody expected me to be a capitalist since I have no capital. <laughs> but <laughs> I think what, what, we, what we both have is kind of capitalism with socialist controls. Yeah. yeah. Mm. So it's, it's not simply... Um, it's it's still too capitalist, I would say, certainly in my country. Mm -hmm. uh, and look at the economic divisions, which are extreme. Mm -hmm. uh, but but we do have majority agreement on on some kind of basic principle principles of of socialism in terms of uh, pay, healthcare, housing, water. You know. Yeah. You know, there, Michael Harrington, who was a democratic socialist and a dear friend, always used to point to water as proof that we could be a, a socialized government because, you know, you might die of um, hunger or cold, but you probably, in neither of our countries, would die of thirst. Mm -hmm. and, if, and if we can socialize water, then we can socialize other other quantities, too. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the uh, healthcare not being socialised in the US is obviously a big difference between our countries, and mm -hmm. um, we have free yes, access right. to free healthcare here in New Zealand. Um, is 
is that a feminist issue as well? Does that sort of break down in terms of um, bias and discrimination against women and women of colour that that not not having easy access to healthcare? Yes, certainly it does because women, just because of childbearing, do need more access to the healthcare system usually mm. than than men do. So it it uh, is a kind of double discrimination. Mm. And we, I think, in this country are worse than any other developed country in the world in terms of access to, universal access to health care. Yeah. It, it just occurred to me, so in the last 20 minutes, we have asked you about race, capitalism, transphobia, <laughs> health education. It, is it exhausting? What do you, what do, you do? <laughs> what do you do when you're exhausted? <laughs> I don't know. I'm not exhausted. I'm interested. Okay. <laughs> That's crazy. <laughs> no, I mean, it's, it's, you know, we're, I can hear you laugh. You know, I feel like we're kind of in a circle, which is, mm. you know, the basic human or, organizational form, even if <laughs> yeah. we're far away, <laughs> and listening to each other. Um, and that's, that's crucial. I mean, actually, it'd be much better if we were physically together because yes, please. Oh, please. we do. <laughs> that, that, that's we can the fly. Only, that's we'll get the on a plane. We can, we can empathize. Okay. <laughs> yeah, it is. You have to be in the room, don't you, for empathy to really. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, but at least, I mean, at least we have one sense going here, which is our hearing, right, which is good. <laughs> <laughs> we actually printed out a big photo of you and put it on the desk in front of us yes. so that we could feel like you were in the room with us. <laughs> <laughs> oh, thank it's you. Not thank creepy you. at all. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, actually, on that note, while we're talking about if there's anything else that you do which isn't, you know, devoting your life to this cause, we have a feature on our podcast where we talk about what we've been watching and reading, listening to and enjoying in the past month. And I wondered if you would like to contribute anything to our, our book club or our watch club this month. Hmm. What's on no, your bedside table? Uh, well, actually, I was just, uh, there's, there's a book uh, called Know My Name. I don't know if it's been published there yet by Chanel Miller. You might remember oh. perhaps the report of a of a uh, rape case in which the young woman was absolutely uh, unconscious from alcohol, oh, yeah. or mm-hmm. she had passed out in any case, mm-hmm. and she was raped uh, and being raped uh, outdoors when two young Swedish men came and and uh, drove off the rapist mm. and rescued her, and she she for a long time did not want her name to be known, but now definitely does and Mm. has written an entire book and is, you know, has become a a, a wonderful, uh, kind, humorous, deep spokeswoman. And I I think the lesson there is that using what happened to us to help other people is the final stage of healing. There's there's a, a, a quite a, a wonderful book called Trauma and Recovery uh, that is about all kinds of trauma, whether it's prisoner of war men or um, women or children who have been sexually assaulted, trauma of any kind, mm-hmm. and and it makes that point that when you get to the place where you can use what happened to you to help other people, it's a final stage of healing because you know your experience is not wasted. Mm. 
Wow. You know, it can be helpful helpful in the world. Yeah. It's extraordinary. What was the last movie that you saw? <laughs> oh, gosh, I have to stop it. What was the last movie I saw? I, <laughs> I don't know. Maybe before we stop talking to each other, I'll remember what it was. <laughs> That's all right. We also have a um, an occasional segment where we, if we've experienced a mansplain, mm. which I'm sure you are familiar with the concept of. We like yes, to laugh yes, about yes. it. And I wondered, what is Gloria Steinem's biggest ever mansplain moment? <laughs> uh, oh, gosh. Well, you know, the, 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 one of the gifts of my life is that I work almost entirely with women. So it, doesn't, <laughs> it, probably, it probably happens to me way, way less often. Um, See, that's the but clue. I, that's now that, that you that's say that. that, now that you say that, I, I think it was uh, in an airport where I often am, where, <laughs> where uh, you know, the uh, one of the uniformed men. I don't know exactly what his capacity was. Was explaining to me in great detail. Uh, where the escalators were and where the baggage (laughs) claim was and where, you know, right, right. (laughs) Especially since I travel all the time. Right, yeah. A a little odd about it, right. (laughs) But I think he, especially, it may have been a combination of of gender and age, so he was trying to be super Uh helpful. Right. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, we also have a sort of a celebration each month, which we call Kiara Queenie, where we nominate a woman who we have seen just doing something incredible uh, around around the place. Did you have anyone that you would like to nominate? Oh gosh, there's so many. Oh, oh. <laughs> you can do more than one, of course. Mm. Yeah. Well, I you know because I was I was um, hmm. I was just writing about Jessie Norman because, you know, she uh, was a great global persona as an opera singer and also as a human being and as an American and an African-American and a friend. And so I was I was just writing something online because I was hoping that people who did not know her would listen to her recordings or read, read her biography. Uh, so... You know, I she's she's in my head right now, so mm-hmm. I would say Jesse Norman. That's a very good one. Um, we uh, all, uh, as well as obviously being on this podcast, we're all writers. Um, do you still, is your writing practice still strong? I mean, obviously you've just written a book, but are you still you you've just written about um, uh, Jesse Norman Norman. Um, are you are you still sort of writing every day, every week? I I wish I could say yes, mm. uh, but I mean, writing is the one thing that when I'm doing it, I don't think I should be doing something else. You know, so I realize that it's uh, kind of my identity. You know, I mean, if some if someone told me I never had to speak in public again for the rest of my life, I would be quite relieved. <laughs> if they told me I could, if they told me I could never write again, I would be mad as hell. Yeah. So mm. I guess that's uh, proof that you know this is the most important thing to me. But precisely because it's important, 
I put it off or I yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> sound familiar. Yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> you know, I I spend time moving semicolons around instead of breathing. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so, so that doesn't get any better, is that yeah. what you're saying? Uh, I don't I don't think so. Yeah, okay. <laughs> it, but the reward is that I don't know if you've experienced this, but every once in a while I read something that I wrote and I think that's pretty good. Yeah. You know. <laughs> yeah, who, who wrote that? that? Yeah. Who wrote that? <laughs> and you might have just answered a bit of this then, but we had a question from one of our listeners. This might be our last question, Claire, who said that in times of great stress and pressure, what does Gloria draw on to remain strong, articulate, and focused? Ah, oh, friends. You know, friends, uh, people who are in the same struggle or celebration or, you know, whatever it is that you're doing. I mean, I do think we are definitely communal animals and we, uh, if we're isolated, I mean, there's a reason why solitary confinement is mm-hmm. thought to be torture everywhere in the world. Mm-hmm. You know? We are, we are communal. So if we can both listen and talk in a, in a, a group of people or to at least a few other people uh, we can we can empathize and we can feel people empathizing with us and it only happens with all five senses mm-hmm. so I think that's crucial and I worry about that don't you because we're looking at a screen so much mm-hmm. yeah yeah now right wow well, thank you so much for joining our little yeah. circle. Yeah, thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you. Well, thank you. Thank you for the cheerful sounds. <laughs> <laughs> it's been I a hope, real I pleasure. I hope we actually get all five senses sometime. Okay. We would love that. We would love that. Very thank nice. you very much. Glorious Dynamo on the thank rag. Thank you. What a day. Thank you. Kia ora e te iwi, te Aihe Butler here, podcast manager at The Spin-Off. If you enjoy listening to our podcasts, consider supporting our mahi by signing up to become a Spin-Off member at thespinoff.co.nz slash donate. The Spin-Off Podcast Network.